Whether in the media, our government, or our schools, Christianity faces tremendous intellectual persecution. This program stands on the intellectual front lines. With disarming honesty, we engage the most difficult issues facing Christians today. I want to welcome you to Theology Unplugged, the radio outreach of Credo House Ministries in Edmond, Oklahoma. We sit down over lattes at the Credo House coffee shop and just talk theology. I'm Michael Patton, president of Credo House Ministries. I'll be leading the discussion along with Tim Kimberly, director of ministries for Frontline Church Edmond, Sam Storms, lead pastor of Bridgeway Church, and finally J.J. Side, pastor of community and discipleship at Bridgeway Church. Thank you for joining us for Theology Unplugged. We are going to talk today about a very important distinguishing mark of Christianity. We've got Clint with us once again, the philosopher who was joining us last time. You have taught with us here at Credo House many times before, so uh, thank Indeed, you for joining us. The privilege, gentlemen, I assure you, is all mine. I think this will go a lot with your experience uh, as uh, a missionary and uh, your experience uh, with the Mormons, because this is this is something that, uh, like I said, distinguishes Christianity. We're going to talk about the doctrine of the Trinity, and. You know, here's the deal. We're not getting into a problem passage, but maybe I could say the problem lack of a passage. (laughs) (laughs) hey oh. Because would you guys agree that Christianity is defined so much? I mean, we've got lots of things that define us as as people and as how we act, but we do have some definite theological markers that we would say— from the very beginning of the church, from the very establishment of the New Testament and those who followed, there was something that was so incredibly important that it has defined Christianity since then. And and there's a few things, but the doctrine of the Trinity being one of them. Yeah, and the amazing thing about it is that it's a doctrine for which the Word does not appear in the New Testament. (laughs) It's not like the doctrine of redemption or... uh, you know, the deity of Christ or resurrection or salvation, which are biblical terms, the word Trinity nowhere appears in the Bible. So many people right from the outset say, how can you say that a doctrine that is identified by a word that nowhere appears in the Bible can be definitive of the Christian faith? Aren't there a lot of Christians, guys, Uh, Clint? Aren't there a lot of people at least claim Christianity that deny the, uh, the Trinity? Unitarians. Well, they used to call them Unitarians. I don't know that people use that word anymore, but there are a lot of groups who are known for having decided what is a Unitarian? they don't believe in it. A Unitarian is an individual, as over against being Trinitarian, would argue that there is only one person in the Godhead. God is one person, not three persons in one essence. Um, so they would they would say that any distinctions between Father, Son, and Spirit are functional at best uh, and reflect different activities or or manifestations of the one person who is God. But the idea that there are three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, is something that Unitarians would reject. There are others who who reject the Trinity who claim to be Christian. That's the United Pentecostal Church, the UPC. Oneness Pentecostals. Right, Oneness Pentecostals who say that there's only one person in the Godhead, and it's Jesus, and that when uh, uh, Jesus manifests himself in his creative capacity or as 
in, a, in a paternal role. He calls himself father when he uh, sanctifies and uh, illumines Christians. He reveals himself as spirit, but there's only one person, not three, father, son, and spirit. And one group that is uh, very adamant in terms of really beating uh, Christians up about this belief from outside are the Muslims. Hmm. Because and if you want to hear very uh, determined anti-Trinitarian debate and discussion, just listen to Muslim apologists. Well, what about Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses Clearly. as well? Clearly. And a lot of the same arguments, beginning with things as simple as what Sam said right up front, which is, hey, that word's not in the Bible. Well, if the word's not in the Bible, big deal. What, what is the definition of the Trinity to begin with? Tell me, what is the Christian definition of the Trinity? Who's got their creeds? Well, I think it probably is, uh, uh, perhaps the simplest and most forthright definition would be that there is one God. We are not polytheists. Let's make very clear that. We do not believe in a multiplicity of gods. There is one divine being, one essence, one deity. But this deity, and here's a big fancy word that I, nobody knows what it means. This deity subsists in three distinct persons. So within this divine essence, this unity of, uh, of uh, divinity, there is Father, Son, and Spirit who are distinct in terms of their personality. Um, now, here's where it gets interesting. The Father is the same God as the Son, but he's not the same person. And the Son is the same God as the Spirit, but he's not the same person. And the Spirit is the same God as the Son and the Father, but not the same person. So Trinitarianism is the affirmation that there is one God who exists eternally, not just for the purposes of creation yeah. and redemption and within our time frame, but from all eternity past into all eternity future, this God exists in three distinct persons, co-equal in glory, co-equal in power, co-equal in, uh, in all of the attributes that we normally associate with God. But there's only one God. But the Father is the most powerful of the three. Son comes in second, Holy Spirit in third, right? <laughs> uh, he, the Holy well, Spirit gets the bronze? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, and that's the way some people would think. Even, even after you have said what you just said, Sam, right. some people would think, well, I get it. But the whole, the father is the greatest of the three. Sam, are you a hierarchalist? Is that the right word? Yeah, the, the, as if somehow uh, the father is a bit more God than the son. The son's a bit more God than the spirit. That's right. But if, if you're saying they're all of the same essence, that is an impossibility for them to be ontological. And this is a big word. I, forgive me for throwing this out here. But ontos, meaning essence, stuff, being. The essence of God, the stuff of God, what he actually is, you cannot divide into three parts. There is not one that is the greatest part, and then the second greatest, and the third. It's not like us sitting here. We're all three humans. We're of homo sapien. Um, uh, but we're not homo usios. We are not homo usios because I am not sharing in your essence. Uh, as much as you guys would like to share in my essence because it's, it's so awesome you can't have my essence. What about your, your, your musk? <laughs> so we're not saying that God is of the, there's three of them of the species God, no. um, but we're saying they share in the exact same essence. Right. Um, because here, here's the, the, the problem that people face when, when you affirm Trinitarianism. They say, all right, you're telling me that God is one and that God is three in the same sense. And we're saying, no, we're not affirming that at all. 
And then they say, all right, then you're telling me that uh, to perform some sort of uh, mathematical wizardry, that one plus one plus one equals one. Uh, and so people are confused. And what we have to affirm is there is a sense in which God is one and a sense in which God is three. And God is not one in the same sense that he's three or three in the same sense that he's one. He's one in his essence, in his being. As you use the, the term, ontologically, there is only one divine being. Um, in terms of how that divine being exists in the unity of that essential nature, there are three distinct persons. The Father who loves the Son, the Son who loves the Father, the Spirit um, who communes with Father and Son. Now, people are saying, man, that's really weird. And the answer is, you're right. Well, it was at Augustine who said, um, try to understand the Trinity and you'll lose your mind. Deny the Trinity and you'll lose your soul. Hmm. We're talking about something that's not irrational. And here I'm in, encroaching upon Clint's territory, being the philosopher that he is. But we are talking about something that is transrational. Uh, and there's a difference. I don't believe that what we're talking about here is illogical but it certainly transcends our capacity to reduce down to manageable proportions and say, all right, I, I can explain to you now in, in very definitive terms what it means for God to be triune in a way that's going to make perfectly good logical sense to you. I can't do that. Nobody can. But it is an affirmation of faith based on what we see in Scripture. Well, and I hear you again trying, as to, to use your language, trying to be ruthlessly clear. We learned last time that Sam is high on ruthlessly, ruthless clarity. Yeah. But in as much as you want to do that, there, as you're admitting, there's a sort of a limit to just how clear we can actually make this. It's probably good to admit that. I, I am glad that is you— Is Sam right in saying that we cannot embrace a contradiction? Of course. Uh, Why I don't can't know, we? I, mean, I don't know I, how we we're, would. We're talking about with God. Why can't we? God is—God can do anything— Therefore, whenever it comes to God in this issue, we may not understand the contradiction, but God can contradict himself in this area. Why, what, what's the problem with that? I'm okay with embracing. If you want to embrace a contradiction, you can, you can do so. Can, we can all claim to. Whether you do it in your mind or not, I don't know. But I think what Sam was saying, and I agree, is that this is not a contradiction. A, a logical contradiction, you said it's not irrational. That would be if we were saying... There are three persons, and there is one person. Yeah. Because then, now I've made, I've stated a contradiction, but we're not saying that. And this, I mean, the Athanasian Creed says what clarifies what you just said, right? It says you, Sam. It says uh, that there the key words are substance and persons, and in that first sense, one, and in that second sense, three. In fact, it doesn't even say the key line there is neither confounding the persons nor dividing. The substance. So don't do either one of those. Don't don't confound the persons. Don't blend them all into one person because they're distinct people. Yeah. And do not also separate the substance and say there are we're tritheists. We have three gods reigning like Olympus. So well, here, so it, let, let's be real clear. That's a very important point Clint just made. People need to understand this. It's only a contradiction if we're sitting here saying that Trinitarianism means that God is one in essence and God is three in essence. That's a contradiction. That is, those are mutually exclusive assertions. Or to say that God is one person, oh, but God is also three persons. That's a contradiction. That's irrational. We're not asserting that. We're saying that God is one in essence, one divine being, 
who exists in three persons. So the sense in which he is three is different from the sense in which he is one. That's the affirmation of faith we're making based on Scripture. And and one of the things that I, and this is, this is not just a parenthetical note. This is something of the essence of we as Christians, what we believe, our understanding of natural theology, stuff that God has revealed to us through just rational thinking. <clears throat> and one of these is the assumption of... Um, of rational thought not being something that God adheres to because he is bound to it from the outside, but because it as essence, it, it, it permeates from who he is. And so whenever I say God can't contradict himself and in the Trinity as a Christian, you can't say it's okay because it's God and he can contradict himself and, and it's, it's so high above us, we can say he can contradict himself. What we'd be saying is he can contradict his nature. He can be something other than he's not. And in the end, if he can, he can contradict his promises to us and say one day, well, you know, I did tell you I was never going to leave you or forsake you. But at the same time, I am going to leave you and forsake you because I can contradict myself. I mean, all the promises of God are based upon an idea that his character, his essence, and I'm not saying it always makes sense in the sense of understanding, but it will always be in accordance with rationale because rationale permeates from him. It is, it is, we, we are adhering to when we say in mathematics, one plus one plus one can't equal one. We are adhering to God's natural law and part of who he is uh, rather than trying to deny that God can do something uh, that um, uh, we think for some reason he ought to be able to do since he's God. It's like the old riddle, you know, well, if is God omnipotent, can he do anything? Yes. Well, can he lie? Well, see, the thing is, I think logic and uh, and uh, morality both the same thing sort of holds although logic's even specific because i think most people most theologians i think would define omnipotence as the ability or the power to do anything that is logically possible it's logically doable yeah and so when you ask well can god make a square circle and things like that what you're asking is uh, can god do what god can't do yeah this question's absurd. Yeah. So, so here's here's an issue, Michael, and I got a, a sense of pe- people who are just tuning in and wondering. They've all often wondered where do we get this idea of trinitarianism in the Bible anyway? Yeah. Uh, why? Where does it come from? And let me just say that when we read the the Bible, the New Testament, but also the Old as well, we th- we see three lines of evidence that are unmistakable, undeniable, explicitly clear. Number one monotheism. There is only one God. As I said earlier, we're not polytheists. We don't believe in a multiplicity of gods. Monotheism. Secondly, we, Old Testament, New old Testament. Old and New Testament. I mean, it's not as if we get to the New Testament and suddenly we get a new revelation. Oh, it actually yeah. is yeah. There's not tritheism. A, there's not a pantheon of gods as there is in the Greek uh, mythological system. Monotheism. Second line of evidence. We read everywhere in the New Testament that there's this person called the Father who is called God. And there is this person called the Son, Jesus Christ, who is called God. And there is this person called the Holy Spirit who is called God. So we think, wait a minute, monotheism. And now I read this, all these texts of the Bible that speak about a Father and a Son and a Holy Spirit, and all three of them are said to be divine. And then we have the third line of evidence 
that somehow unites these three. So, for example, in the Great Commission, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit. Or in Ephesians 4, uh, he talks about there is one Spirit, uh, one Lord, one God and Father of all. Um, So we have these benedictions, these doxologies, these uh, descriptive passages in the New Testament that speak of these three united in a common purpose uh, and a common goal. So what do we do with those three lines of evidence? And invariably, the cults, the non-Christian religions, will eliminate one of those three lines. They'll say, no, there's, there's more than one God. We're not monotheists. Or no, either Father and Son or Spirit are not God, when in fact the Bible says they are. Or no, they are not somehow united in this triunity. But to hold all three of those lines of evidence together uh, lead, has led the church from its earliest days up into the present time to affirm what we call Trinitarianism, that there is one God in essence who subsists eternally in three distinct persons who are co-equal in power and glory and honor. You know, one of the things that helped me a lot years ago, I used to think this doctrine is so cumbersome, you know, why do I have to try to process this and understand this? And I would almost want to blame the early church fathers who formulated it in the terms that we've talked about as, you know, why did you guys have to complicate all of this? When I finally realized that the concept and the doctrine of the Trinity is a solution, not a problem, mm-hmm. that, the, that the problem, if you want to call it that, is the difficulty of all the texts and just sort of making a coherent doctrine out of it, that those guys did us, did us a solid by sitting down and doing this and did a fine job, really, and I have to hand it to them for using all the texts. They could have much more easily done what the cults do and hammered out a much simpler concept had they just wanted to make it easy. And I've always given it up to, uh, you know, when I'm talking to Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and other people, I will say to them that if you're arguing that your concept of God's a little simpler, I'll give that to you. I'm not here saying, hey, my concept's simpler, easier to understand or articulate than yours. That's not the issue. But if we ask which one of these most accurately and best and most coherently handles all of the texts, now now I think you lose. Hey, tell me as briefly as possible, how do Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses handle the relationship issue? Because they both, they both have Jesus. Both of them will call Jesus Lord. What, what's the big difference? I think in both cases, as Sam said, there's a demotion. Jesus gets demoted, typically. In I mean, his essence. Certainly. I mean, for Mormons, he's born just as we were. I mean, he, he's, a, he's a son. He's our elder brother. Uh, so he's not e- co-eternal. By, by, in fact, for that matter, the father isn't eternal. <laughs> he, he was born to yeah. uh, in, in their cosmology and their whole worldview. So, but, but in most cases, I think, and, and I mean, you know, Muslims say well, he's a great prophet. I think in every case, uh, God, the father, will maintain the highest ground. Almost no one will demote him. But Jesus will get demoted, and the spirit might even get just sort of relegated to just sort of a, a loose Deep, a depersonalized. Force. Yeah, the yeah. Jehovah's Witnesses say he's a force, right? Yeah, the force in the universe. May the force be with you. Yeah, and, and let's let's Michael, let's take this uh, the subject of Islam because this is so very much in the news and we hear people say, aren't we all really of one mind and one faith? Um, uh, why is there a why is there such a a, 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 a radical 
differentiation between Islam and Christianity? Because doesn't the Muslim honor Jesus? Doesn't the Muslim say he was a great prophet? Doesn't the Muslim insist that we need to revere him and that, in fact, he did live and die, um, at least live anyway? They don't believe Jesus died on the cross. They've got a bizarre understanding there. And so what really is the differentiation? Uh, Because the Muslims, if they were to hear this conversation and us declare that the Father, God the Father, has a son eternally co-equal in deity and in power and glory, that would be blasphemous to them. That would provoke them very, very deeply. So this is, the, this is one of the principal issues that differentiates Islamic religion from the Christian faith. And the question whenever Christ said to Peter, um, who, do you, who do men say that I am? is the most divisive question that has ever been asked in the history of the world, even at the time in Matthew chapter 16, where this question is originally asked, there was already many views about who he was. Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets. I mean, the point is, you, people get Jesus wrong. And isn't that the isn't this the point when we're talking about John in the very first the I mean the first line in his gospel who whenever he says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, the very basis for our understanding of the Trinity, being in proximity to God, but yet at the same time being in a shared uh essence with that God. Um, that is our basis, but this is the dividing line. Jesus becomes the most divisive issue, and everybody does still claim him in some sense, but yet you get this wrong, and haven't you got the Christian faith wrong? Yeah, so that raises a, a very important question that we might on want to close out on here. Can you deny the Trinity and be Christian? Now, again, I didn't ask the question, Can you be confused by the Trinity and be a Christian? Or do you have to fully grasp and comprehend Trinitarianism to be a Christian? All of us, when we first came to faith, especially when you come to faith as an adult, if you were to ask a a newly born again, 35-year-old, highly educated person in the Western world uh, who's just confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you said, can you define the Trinity for me? And they'd look at you and say, ah... No, I don't think so. Yeah. It's not that they... It's and not, they, would, they would probably use some illustration that right. would be a the egg. heretical yeah. illustration. A very, a very deficient <laughs> illustration. But it's one thing for somebody to say, I don't understand the Trinity. I can't use the terms you guys have used in this program. I've never heard them before. It's another thing to say, I understand it and I reject it. I deny it. So when, I, when people ask me the question, can a person um, reject the Trinity and be a Christian, my answer is, if they understand what they're rejecting, no. But all of us struggle to articulate it. We've, we've struggled here today. We're, trying, we're grasping at terms and ideas and analogies. So um, most Christians would, would be hard-pressed to define the Trinity on a theology exam. But if you ask them, do you affirm it as essential to your faith and your relationship with God, they would say, absolutely, yes. Let me end with this from John Calvin. He talks about the word Trinity and uh, where people have problems. And I, I think this is the best place to end. 
John Calvin says, where names have not been invented rashly, we must beware lest we become chargeable with arrogance and rashness in rejecting them. I wish indeed that such names were buried, provided that all would occur or all would concur in a belief that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one God, yet the Son is not the Father, nor the Spirit the Son, but that each has a particular subsistence. I am not so minutely precise as to fight furiously over mere words, for I observe that the writers of the ancient church, while they uniformly spoke with great reverence on these matters, neither did they agree about the words and were always consistent. So we're not talking about being consistent, folks, in words that you use, but in the concept that the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, but they are not each other. They are in an eternal relationship. Folks, we love being on Bot Radio Network every Saturday at 1. But Theology Unplugged needs your help. In order to exist, we need $800 a month. And we need it to come from people here who listen to Bot Radio. So if you would, and if you want us to stay on Bot, please go to our website and donate monthly. Click on the donate button, put in the notes that this is for Theology Unplugged. We thank you so much for your support. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. Theology Unplugged is a listener-supported ministry of the Credo House, a theological hub and coffee shop located at 109 Northwest 142nd Street in Edmond, Oklahoma. For more information on the Credo House or to support the ongoing work of its theological ministry, please visit www.credohouse.org.